0: Welcome to Sophisticated Property Investing, a podcast brought to you by Ethical Property Partners,
1: the experts in sophisticated property investment. Good afternoon, ladies and gents, and welcome to this episode of the Sophisticated Property Investing podcast. And I'm very excited to introduce you to our guest today, who is Andy Miller. Andy, thanks for joining us. How are you, sir?
0: Hi, Frank. Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Great to be here.
1: Now, before we crack into it, guys, and get going, and I'll introduce why Andy's here and what his expertise is, etc. I want so you apologize. I've had dental work this morning and half my face is <laughs> paralyzed from the anesthetic so if I sound like I'm slow in my words it's not because I've been out for drinks at lunchtime it's because I'm half paralyzed but I will do my best regardless I tried to drink a cup of tea earlier Andy and it uh, ended up half down my front
0: <laughs> hopefully I won't restrict you too much I'm not sure about the drinking thing on lunchtime though <laughs> no that's it absolutely
1: so Andy would you like to just explain to the listeners what your expertise is and a bit of your
0: backstory really we 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 being my partner, Julie and I, we found property about five years ago, almost by accident, really. We were looking for something to uh, invest in, uh, or Julie was in particular, something to sort of secure a future, more of a pension type idea, a non-pension pension and property sort of came up as the potential. And to cut a very long story short, we found property, did a lot of education paid for that education and decided that this was for us and we were going to uh, apply that knowledge. And it was during that process of learning about property that we bumped into something called a SAS pension and both property and SAS pension have been life changing for us.
1: Excellent. When you came and spoke to our partners and members at our monthly trend day a few months ago, I was very impressed with your depth of knowledge And I don't think we've ever really delved into it on the podcast. A couple of years ago, we did do an episode that skirted around the issue and we talked about it a little bit, but I would love to jump into how that has been life-changing for you. So in what way did having a SaaS help you with growing your net worth and and securing a cash flow into
0: your retirement? Well, I think, and we have to be careful here that some of the language I use might sound almost difficult to believe certain things uh, but you you have to see things very much in the round with SAS pension and business generally and so you know everything I always say about SAS I, I do caveat with don't do something with a small piece of bit, a bit of information you need to really research things properly and make sure that SAS and using your SAS in a certain way really fits with your appetite for risk uh, your business and so you know I, I do start with that sort of caveat and that mm-hmm. warning that health warning to say this isn't like going into a shop and buying something off the shelf and using it you know th- this is a very sophisticated tool and i don't want to start in a negative way but you, know, <laughs> you, you must must research this you know we didn't sort of pull the trigger with our SAS for at least 18 months after mm-hmm. we started to research it and we do a lot of research you know we go in depth with things We make sure we properly understand them before we dive in. So, you know, this isn't a quick fix, but the way that it can change your business, you know, and your whole mindset, really, it's about dovetailing, you know, assets that you might have in your SaaS with your understanding of of tax, uh, understanding of pension, not uh, to any huge, great detailed level in terms of like the pensions manual or anything like that, but just understanding what you can do as an individual as regards contributions and how you realize that. And so it is that combination of understanding of all of those areas, business, Mm -hmm. tax, pension, and then seeing once you understand all of that landscape, those are things that we were improving our knowledge on all of those three topics gradually over a period of years. And then we finally sort of saw the light and all of these things kind of came together in some sort of perfect way, which, you know, which I can expand on what we've practically done. But, you know, what we've done isn't necessarily what other people would want to do. So it really is an individual journey. It's for people to understand, you know, their own business, their own risk appetite, their own understanding of tax. You know, family comes into this as well and get to know your landscape and then, you know, with some advisors around you, make some decisions.
1: That first point or the first caveat you made there, Andy, about don't do something with a slice of the information, that is such sage advice. I've come across it so many times, not not necessarily in sasses, but in property investing where someone goes on a course and they they get the highlights of a strategy and then they go gung-ho and of course all the courses are saying take action you know get cracking and yeah. so they do but they do it <laughs> off-cocked and, and invariably you know make mistakes and um, and stuff it up for themselves so i think it's very wise uh, what you're saying absolutely yeah i
0: mean you know with all of these things you have to go out of the classroom and do something but you don't necessarily risk too much early mm-hmm. on until you absolutely know for sure that the strategy. Is right for you, and that the way that you're implementing that strategy fits with your area and again, your own personal appetite and all those things. You know, all of these strategies we hear about in property. They all work for some people, some Absolutely. of the time. They don't all work for everyone, all of the time. And you know, <laughs> you really have got to drill down and say, if you've seen where it works for someone, find out why it works mm. for them, and see if you can replicate that. Certainly, uh, but don't be a lemming. Don't just think because it works for someone that it will work for you.
1: It, there are so many variables, aren't there? Is this right for me right now? As in this stage of the market, this geographic location, with my level of experience, with my financial time resource it, there's so many aspects to it I, I couldn't agree more andy dozens
0: and dozens of variables and sliders and things and you know you just got to be on top of all these things and just research 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 speak to other people you know we we surrounded ourselves with people who were further along the property journey than we were and further along in the SAS journey than we were we just you know network with those people socialize with them we were just absorbing all this information you know now you know the shoes on the other foot so you know we're talking to other people and helping them in their journey which probably you know to be honest we're more comfortable with because we we prefer to share knowledge rather than suck it but you know yeah it's been an incredible journey there's some great people in property there's also some not so great people
1: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, I'm grateful for you coming on today to share some of that knowledge, Andy. Let's kick off with your journey because you can speak with confidence about that and then maybe we can go off on tangents and and say, so if someone's in this situation, what might their options be? But in terms of your journey, what did you have? And in terms of, you know, your resources and knowledge and experience, uh, pension pot, I guess is relevant in this. And what have you then done with it? And I think coming from you know the cautious measured perspective that, that you do I think that would be a really good journey to unpick to understand well that's one way that it can work really well
0: Julie and I have been together we're kind of second time around we've got children you know so we're we're in our sort of uh, late 50s five years ago we were mid50s um, so we've been together for sort of 10 years as a couple and as I say five years ago this this property thing was sparked by Actually, she was just going to buy one property uh, for a bit of income without leverage, no mortgage, whatever. Fast forward on, and we're probably, I don't know how many properties we've bought, refurbished and and, and let. So we've kept everything that we've that we bought and refurbished. I think we're on about number nine or 10, something like that. That difference between what we thought we wanted at the beginning and what we've ended up with couldn't be more extreme. I mean, it literally, we've gone from... People who had jobs, worked in sort of semi-corporate, trying to get rid of the mortgage, saving everything you could to the absolute opposite. You know, we're self-employed now. We're leveraged up to a level that we're comfortable with and our risk appetite. So that's something to point out. Sure. Um, but, but we're leveraged now. Uh, we couldn't have ever done what we've done without leverage. It's totally impossible to, even though, I mean, we had relatively significant amounts of of capital behind us uh, outside of the pension. And, you know, we've put all that to play. And to be honest, after the initial probably 12 months of training, I was very, very clear that we just had to get 20% return from all of our cash and pension that we held. If we could get 20% return every year on that amount of money, we'd be happy we could do anything we wanted to do uh, with our lives really which involve you know family and and we've just got three grandkids in the last couple of years and and it's expanding so that's the environment we were in if that's helpful just start with that we did training we did a whole you know year and a half probably two years of formal training which was a quite a huge cost but we felt it was an investment certainly after you, were, you never know at the start with these training courses, um, yeah. but certainly after three or four months, we realized that the information we were getting was very good. And also we backed ourselves to actually implement it. And I have to say, with the people that we were training with, you know, there's the big difference, I think, between us and a lot of the others is that we have gone and pulled the trigger. And a lot of people who have had the same education and information as we've had have not done that. And I don't know what that magic ingredient is, (laughs) Uh, is it, you know, I, I, I really don't, I can't, you can't, if you could bottle it, you'd be, you'd be, you'd be very wealthy, wouldn't you? But we have pulled the trigger and we've implemented and we've been cautious with everything that we've done with, you know, GDV and build costs and rental income projections and all those things, yeah. we've been conservative, and every single one of our properties has outperformed our initial appraisal of that deal. So that is reflected in that, I think. you know, Having said that, we've been blessed that we've been in a period of, of rising property prices. So it would be disappointing if the GDV didn't reach what we predicted, because uh, some of these deals take 18 months to, to refinance, and uh, clearly we've been in a rising market. Um, having said that, you know, that's been a help rather than anything that's completely saved a deal or anything like of that nature. I mean, moving, we decided after our training that single buy to would have just taken us way, way too long to get yeah. to where we needed to get to. And again, that was a personal choice with some advice from mentors and so on. We felt that we'd got enough experience. You know, I got a bit of a corporate background yeah, I was actually an insurance broker I'd been managing director of a firm, we had about 75 employees at the time, so I sat on a board and I had some financial sort of acumen and awareness of financing and balance sheet profit and loss and all those sort of things I, I kind of knew, um, which you know is easy to take for granted. You know, if you don't know those things, you, you need to understand those things. Mm. Property is a business, it's a business first and foremost. It happens to be in you know buying property, you know, renting property, selling property, whatever you're doing. But it's like any other commodity or or, or or service. You know the financial side of things needs to be understood first. You know I had kind of had those skills, I guess a certain amount of confidence as well. Which with the training that we received in property, we've combined that. Julie is much more on the creative side, so she's got a great. Uh, ability to work with space and adapt space and make things just look amazing and fantastic to tenants. That leaves me cold, I have to say. So, in that. <laughs> you and me both, Andy. That's not, not up my street at all. Yeah. Are, we're, we're like that perfect team in that respect that we've got that sort of business acumen and laser focus on the 20% return and the focus on the numbers and the finance tax and all those matters which is what excites me and then Julie is all about the end result the product you know what people will actually use you know right down to the level of detail that you you wouldn't well you would believe if you're in property but you know tenants need small amounts of amenity where to put the ironing board where you know where they're going to put the iron where can they hang the hoover up on the wall somewhere you know all these tiny little bits of detail which make a property better and letable and Increases, yeah. you know, reduces your voids, increases the length of your tenancies, and all those things that uh, that are important. There's some real gems in there in terms
1: of being laser focused on your return. I like your twenty percent. You mentioned single STs would have been too slow for you, which I completely understand. Are all of your properties so all nine or ten of them HMOs? Then is that what you've gone for? And if so, what kind of HMOs?
0: Yeah, so we 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 started with HMO, and that's the way we've continued. Once we've developed the properties that we currently own, so we bought three properties this year. Uh, one of them is about to start to be developed. That's a commercial conversion. And then we've got two more HMOs, which we'll probably wait till next year before we convert them from four beds to six beds. Yeah. I think we'll be up around 68 rooms, something like that. Uh, over all of the properties, as I say, that that has effectively allowed us to deploy those funds that we had and to get that kind of return. The reason I like the return on investment, you know, that laser focus that you mentioned about, you know, twenty percent return on investment. Of course, twenty percent is our figure. You know, anyone else may have ten percent, fifteen percent, thirty-five percent. That is very much a personal thing, and very much like everything else we discussed earlier. It is really about what your appetite is and what you feel you need and you can achieve. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reason I like return on investment, and I don't use yield, I don't really understand yield, I've never got sure. to know what it means because return on investment means that I can compare what I get in the bank, um, my 0.5% or whatever it is, what, what I would get if I invested in the stock market, what I would get if I you know, put some equity into a, a small business and look for a return, what I would get if I, you know, just did some sort of first charged lending on something, you know, an 8%, 5%, 6%, whatever return. And and all of these returns are all comparable, even though the investment that you're making is very, very potentially very, very different and diverse. Yes. It could be an equity investment in a business. It could be stocks and shares. You know, it could be a loan It could be just leaving the money in an ISO and and getting returns that way. So I I really like that ability to compare every single investment. Because at the end of the day, when you've got funds, you're an investor. Whether Mm -hmm. you invest them in your own business or you invest them somewhere else or you leave it in the bank, you you are an investor. It's helpful in property and in business that if you are investing in your own business, that you wear the two hats. And you wear the hat of an investor as the individual who's got the funds to put into the business. And then you, you have the business. which is a slightly different hat to wear. And SaaS is a third hat. If you are a SaaS trustee, you then have a whole different set of kind of things that should be guiding you and helping you to be successful as a SaaS trustee. So it's important in business to be able to put the correct hat on. And make sure that you're laser focused on what you need to achieve wearing that particular hat. Does that make sense? It absolutely does.
1: It really does. Yeah, and I see that a lot. Actually, I see it with business owners that buy their commercial premises, and they get wrapped up into the the whole. They jump lump it all together, which I think is a mistake. I think in that instance, you need to be looking at it. Well, I'm a freeholder I'm a landlord here and I'm a business owner that's the tenant here and I think that separation and like you say with with a SaaS investment it's actually a three-way well, there's three different perspectives, aren't there? So, um, yeah, absolutely, Andy. That that makes complete sense to me. I imagine a lot of people will be listening to this, thinking, "Okay, so I've got a pension, and let's let's use a mythical person, right? So let's say someone is uh, they've got a good white collar job, been working in it for." let's make them 50 years old then that was the start of your journey wasn't it I think you said so Mm -hmm. um 50 years old so they've probably got 20 years of of decent earnings behind them what would a normal I've never had a pension I did actually I had a pension for two years as a secondary school teacher so I've probably got about 1500 quid in my pension (laughs) but (laughs) what would a a typical you know someone who's earning 300 grand a year now at 50 what would they have as a as a reasonable pension pot and he
0: probably can put your finger in the air better than I can. Oh goodness me! I mean that that really does depend on so many things. Mm. And really, you know, SaaS isn't about having an existing pension necessarily. You know, you can you can open a SaaS pension and start contributing straight yeah. away. So you know, you, um, it's 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 a myth to think that you need a significant amount in your pot to think about starting a SaaS because that's that's not true.
1: Let's say this person's got a million quid in it then, just, just for argument's sake. Well, would that, that, be... that would be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. That's a nice amount of money. Absolutely. So they've got a million pounds in their current pension and let's say they want to keep half in that pension because they want to be cautious and they've got a financial advisor that puts that in the stock market, etc. So they've got 500 grand that they're happy to move into a SaaS. Um Let's say they don't want to be active, as active as um, you and Julie have been in terms of HMOs. So perhaps they're they're more content with an A10, 12% return, perhaps with single ASTs. Um, What options do they have available talk us through what they could do let's say they've got 200 grand of their own money as well they don't really want to do flips similar to yourself and julie they want to hang on to stuff what would your initial
0: thoughts on their options be goodness me there's a lot of questions and variations you have introduced there so first of all i would say when you're looking at pension that the first thing you need to do is to make sure that the cost of your pension arrangements are as efficient as they possibly can be. So you mentioned there about somebody having a million pounds and moving a mi- half of it into a SAS. Well, I'd argue that you wouldn't do that because you're then paying for other pension wrapper, yeah. you're paying all the IFA fees as well in connection with that. You know, put it all into your SAS. Mm. It doesn't dictate where you invest, those funds. So if you've got a strategy, your investment strategy includes 50% in, in the stock market, um, through whichever vehicle you're comfortable with, you can do that from your SAS. Yeah, so that's a good point. the first point would definitely be, you know, if you do go SAS, I would go all in, um, yeah, personally, I don't, I don't, I can't think of any particular reason for having anything outside of your SAS, yeah. unless of course, you're not able to move it into your SAS for whatever reason. You know, yeah. it, may, it may be the type of pension that's not transferable in, and there are some of those, you know, people, um, you know, local government NHS workers, etc., etc. et cetera. Yeah, that's um, because there's no money in those ones. <laughs> they fund themselves. The military and forces <laughs> and all those sort of people, you know, they, 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 they're not portable. Although I do know someone in local authority who just managed to move their pension into a SAS, which was very interesting. So. But that's very bespoke and, and mm. very unique. But once you've got your, you know, your funds into the SAS, you need to decide what are you going to do with it? Where where what's your risk appetite? Where do you want to deploy it? Probably the only thing, whilst we might be introducing things here that are new to people, really the only thing you can't do in any other sort of pension is a loan back. And a loan back is a loan from the SAS back into the company that supports that SaaS. So to have a SaaS, you have to have a company, you have to have a limited company, and that is kind of the sponsoring company of the SAS. Now, the unique thing about SaaS is that 50% of the fund, of the value, can be loaned back to the sponsoring employer. But that is a real game changer.
1: Yeah, so can I ask a quick question on that? And that's a really good reason moving the whole million across isn't it so if they only wanted to use 500 grand um of this million for investing in property and i know that's a loose term if they only put 500k into the sas they could then only loan 250k back but if they moved the whole yeah. million across even though 500 is always going to stay in the stock market they could actually loan the whole 500 uh, to the company am i right in saying that absolutely Absolutely. Yes, that'd be a really good reason to move the whole lot across, that makes sense. Yeah,
0: and you know, the, well, I think the main reason is the cost, uh, but absolutely, yeah, you get that benefit of having that higher amount of um, net asset value in the SaaS, uh, which, as you've rightly said, 50% can be can be lent back. So the terms of that loan back are relatively flexible, and again, with SAS, you, you need to know what your strategy is. Are you trying to grow the pot? Are you trying to grow the SAS pot? Are you trying to grow your cash flow outside of the SaaS in you know, in your business? You need to be very mindful of what your strategy is because it can affect how the decisions that you make. For instance, if if I'm maxing out my contributions into my SaaS and I'm looking for other ways to get more money into my SaaS, that loan back I might make at 12 13 14% interest. That's My such it.
1: an interesting point. My yes.
0: company would pay um what is not an unreasonable you know, it's a commercial rate for yeah. you know, it's got to be commercial. HMRC would, would want to look at it and say, you know, yeah, is that a rate a reasonable rate to pay? Mm. But equally I can lend that money at one percent over base. Mm. Which I mean when I did my first loan back was one point one percent, but it's got yeah. it now. It's two percent now, isn't it? But um, it's quite cheap money for your business if your strategy is to um, get cheap money for your business and try and grow cash flow in your business. It's a way of saying, well, yeah, I can buy this property, refurb it, and remortgage, and that bridge period, which is what it is, uh, whilst you're doing the refurb and before you can refinance. You know, I'm getting my finance at 2%. And by the way, I'm paying that to myself anyway. So really, is it 2%? Yeah, I, I guess it is 2%, but it's being paid to myself. So mm. that's how you would leverage the, the the loan back. I mean, there are other ways and there are other uses for the loan back, but typically in property, we would tend to use it as a bridge where when you acquire the property that the finance, it can be quite expensive to do a bridge.
1: And so on that, um, Andy, with, with yours and, and Julie's strategy, you would draw down funds as and when you needed them at that commercial rate. And I I like how you're thinking in terms of, you know, there's a 10% spread there depending on your priorities. You're buying cash in effect, but actually it's a personal mortgage from your SaaS, presumably protected by a first charge, presumably.
0: Yeah, so for a loan back, the SaaS must have a first charge. And this is where you have to put your SaaS trustee hat on and say, right, I'm gonna lend this to um, my company. Uh, or or the the sponsoring company, there is regulation that states you must have first-charge security on that loan.
1: That makes sense. Which typically
0: would be the the target property that's involved, but it could be your own home. Okay. Um, You know, you could could, uh, effectively, without remortgaging your home, you know, if if you've got an unencumbered house, for instance, Mm. you you wouldn't have to go out and and get a mortgage to get access to that um, equity you could actually unlock the equity in your own home by using it as a first charge against this loan back.
1: Uh, a couple of questions on that. Is there a maximum time period? Could it be a, a five year bridge or is it? does it, is so, there...
0: Yeah, the, the, the time period is the, the loan back is five years up to five years. Yeah. And it's capital and interest. So you you have to pay back on each anniversary. of the loan with the interest accrued to that date. I see. It's not term borrowing. It's not like, not like a mortgage. And so typically what people tend to do is, you know, you might take the loan for five years, but typically what we've done is developed out the property and remortgaged and then repaid the loan back.
1: Yeah. And if you Um, do that within, let's say nine months, there's no capital to pay its interest only, presumably.
0: You'd be paying all the capital back and you'd only have nine months of interest.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah great.
0: You, you only pay the interest on the period that you've, you actually yeah. loan for. Even though, So you've got a five-year facility, but because you pay it back before the first anniversary, there are no stage payments back. You just literally pay it all back. The first charge on the property is removed and replaced usually by the term lending that you've arranged with, with a bank or, or wherever you've gone for your refinance.
1: Those purchases that, for example, you and Julia are making, presumably... They're just owned in your own name or in limited companies that that you own. So in effect, by the end of a transaction that's been refinanced onto term lending, you've got your HMO sat in an SPV. As an example, you've got whatever loan to value lending from NatWest or whomever. Um, The money's gone back to your SAS and in effect, you're back to square one and you can rinse and repeat. Have I got that right?
0: Ready to go again. Yeah. I mean, interestingly, um, a SaaS can have more than one sponsoring limited company. And in our case, it's got three. We've got three three limited companies. And any of those three or combination of those three can take a loan back. As long as the 50% maximum overall doesn't get exceeded, you could have, you know, if you've got three sponsoring employers, you could have three loan backs ongoing to those three companies. So so
1: you could do three properties at a time, basically?
0: Yeah, you could do any number.
1: Can you have more than one loan at a time to the same company? You yes, guess? you can, yeah. And is there a maximum loan to value? So can can let's say it's a 100 grand property and there's a 20 grand refurb that you want to do on it. Can the SAS lend 120 grand or does there... No,
0: so to get this first charge, you have to get a RICS valuation on the property. Yeah. The valuation on the property needs to cover the capital and interest over the period of the loan so it normally works out that you can borrow i think it's something like 96 percent loan to value something like that oh it's pretty um, good though i can't see many bridging providers providing that at two percent <laughs> no again you know you you have to have with your sas trustee hat on you have to say well am i comfortable lending hmm. at that loan to value you know if, if that was a, an external third party loan my answer to that would almost definitely be no but as it's to my own business and I understand what I'm going to be doing with the money and understand the environment that I'm using it in and also we're making sure that the individual deal in terms of our whole economy if it went wrong is not going to bring us down so again you know it's it's about spreading risk in all of these things it's about spreading risk and not getting carried away and putting all your eggs in one basket unless you know at the beginning of your journey you might have to do that but then you're probably a bit more of a younger person and you've got time to recover mm. so you know again this is all relative to each individual and in the stage they're at in their life and experience and, and attitude to risk
1: so coming back thank you and it's really uh, really interesting so coming back to this mythical um, person that's a great strategy for them to use they actually wouldn't need to use much of their own money. I I guess that 200 grand that they've got in their own bank account, that tops up the loan to value and, of course, pays for the refurb, etc. So that's great. And you could see perhaps they could do multiple properties depending on where they are in the country. What other options do you think they should be considering as potential
0: uses of their SAS? All of the other investments that you can make, there are very, very few things that you can't invest in from a pension that you can do third-party loans. Um, and this is where, when you're in the property world, you, if you can collaborate with other SAS pension trustees, you, know, you can start to form relationships, which you can't do a direct one-to-one, I'll lend to you, you lend to me. That's not allowed. But if you are in the SAS pension world and you're a developer, then you're in the same position as a lot of other people in that world And there will be people who, because you can only borrow half of your own fund back, you've got this other half, which, you know, if you're minded to keep the other half in the stock market, then that's it. That is everything deployed. But if you're looking for a different type of return, a greater return, or perhaps something that's a bit more less long term and perhaps more short term, so Mm -hmm. for instance, third party loans... Yeah. Um, if you take the cycle that we just talked about that we're doing for our own deals, then there's a similar cycle with other people that we're brushing up against all the time. They're buying property, refurbing it, refinancing it. So sort of nine to 12 months, possibly longer for for a larger project. There's, there's opportunities out there to lend other people money um, that perhaps don't have such large pension pots, but you know, so they perhaps can't fund the whole deal themselves from their own loan back. You start to understand other people's positions and you can collaborate as long as yeah, this, this SaaS community has got an understanding of all of these things. And over a period of time, you, you, you gain an understanding of where people are, what they're trying to achieve. And you can probably help them and they can probably help you. In that
1: scenario, with your second half of your your SaaS pot, I guess you're basically operating as a, a bridging provider, aren't you? You do it at a slightly lower loan to value than the ninety six percent and a slightly higher interest rate than the two percent. But basically that you are a bridging provider then, aren't you?
0: Absolutely. And and because we're in property and we've done all this due diligence and training and work to understand deals for ourselves it naturally follows that it's relatively simple for me to understand somebody else's deal. And within criteria like the loan to value, I mean, we, we would stick at 75% and we wouldn't put any more of 10% of our pot in any one single loan. And that's a, an investment strategy that we've developed and, and it's we've, we've written it down. And, and, and that's what we do. We can exceed that and change that and flex that if we see particular instance that we want to do that. But that's what we kind of stick to with our with our third party lending. Mm. First charge seventy five percent loan to value, for no more than ten percent of our pension pot. Gotcha. That's that's
1: your personal rules.
0: That's our rules. That's our investment investment rules. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 So this is interesting because a few months back, it was um, quarter four last year. I had a deal. We'd agreed. Uh, it was five properties with I think twenty. Five, maybe 28 flats across the five properties it's like they've been subdivided it was worth 3.2 and we'd negotiated 2.5 million on it the vendor wanted us to buy within I think he gave us eight weeks or something and that was tough for us to raise that much money that quickly we had found a buyer at 3.1 so there was a nice chunk of money in it for us. The transaction is going through now, funnily enough. But what we had, because we couldn't source the 2.5 quickly enough, 2.5 plus costs, probably 2.65, but I didn't have in my arsenal and you've just, the pennies just dropped for me. That would have been a perfect one to go to the SaaS community and say, got this deal, here's the the buyer here's the valuations on these five properties who wants to to fund them because actually the loan to value on that is below 75 percent anyway Mm -hmm. and the returns we could have paid would have been amazing because that's that's such a, a high return over we needed funding for about six months now what we did instead is we did a deal with the vendor and we said look Give us control of the property for how long it's going to take. Allow us to exchange and then assign the exchange to the new buyers, um, mm. and we'll give you a, a higher price than the two point five. So in effect, we pay the interest to the vendor. But I, Vendor I, finance, classic. But, I mean, you know,
0: there's all these, there's all these, you know, t- the tools that you develop through through mm. the property journey, and, and you hear about. that There's always more, and, and you know, like you say, you've just sort of found another way of potentially doing the same thing.
1: I sat down with a pen and paper and came up with about five different scenarios of how we could um, give the vendor what they wanted and, and still make a, a nice chunk of money. And the one that wasn't on there that will be on there next time was going to the SAS community. So have I got that right? I would go to the, the obviously it's relationships, but I could phone up yourself and people like yourself and say, look, here's the deal. Happy to give you 25% of the, uh, the profit, you know, which is going to be lovely over six months because it's five properties. Do you want to fund one of them, get your first charge on them. That am I right in thinking that would fit neatly into what some SAS Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. If you've got a good deal, then SAS SAS pension money is a great source of mm. finance. And you know, it's so much easier to arrange. I mean clearly there's legals involved. It's a, a snip of what a bridge lender would cost you. Mm. And not only that, a bridge lender has lots and lots of quite complicated requirements, which annoyingly they can change a week before you're about to complete, you know? So, you know, whereas you're not going to get that with a SAS pension, you're going to probably know the people. And, you know, yes, they could let you down at the last minute, but it's unlikely. Mm. Um, And if you develop relationships, then it's a safe, easy to administer, um, cost-effective source of funds. But, you know, it's not that easy to get into, like anything that's worthwhile, you know, it, it takes some time to get into that community and to be at the level that you would be able to, you know, request that that kind of money for a deal. It would take some time and, and go harks back to my first point of, you know, this is a, a, a sort of been a two year, minimum two year process, and I'm still learning a lot all
1: yeah. the time it's funny you mentioned bridging providers so we we obviously have relationships with bridging providers and i, I went to the company that i know best um I, I know the ceo we we've chatted on the phone previously and stuff so i gave him a bell and i said look this is the deal he's an investor buys a lot of properties himself actually their company buys a lot of um properties far more than we do. And, um, I said, look, this is a lovely deal at at that stage. We we had to complete within the eight weeks. If we can't, we're going to lose out on, you know, 600 odd grand profit here. Surely we can do a deal on this. And he said, Frank, I'd love to. Um, yes, we can provide the, uh, the 2.5 plus fees in the, in the next eight weeks but not on this deal. And I said, why? You can see the profits there. You know, even if this is an institutional buyer, so, you know, it's pretty robust. They'd already made a firm offer, etc. So they were unlikely to change their mind. They, they owned a lot of units in, in this particular town. And um, he said, Frank, every loan we make is part funded by Metro Bank. And so we have to go back to them and get their underwriters to sign off and I never knew that you know they don't publish Mm. that you know they if you read their marketing materials and if you borrowed money from them you would assume that they're a small almost a family um office you know lending money but even though they didn't have autonomy even they had to go and and check with Metro Bank because I forget what it was the first 60% of every loan was made from Metro money and so Mm. they were at the behest of them if if some decree came down from on high you know in your instance for example we don't like HMOs at the moment because we're a bit worried about another COVID that's it you know your, your, fund, your, your funding's pulled at the last minute so yeah I like the idea of the old-fashioned way of doing business which is uh, man-to-man and building relationships isn't it so yeah
0: it's absolutely absolutely the more you get into it the more you see opportunities a couple of final questions before we wrap up uh,
1: Andy if I may first one is what are the biggest mistakes you've, pe- you've seen people make in the SaaS arena you don't have to name names, but what what right. should people be careful of not repeating? <laughs> okay. So uh, the
0: biggest mistake to begin with, I would say, would be, this is not going to surprise anybody, you know, diving in too quickly without research. Secondly, you know, you do, you, you can administer your own SAS. I wouldn't recommend it. You can have a SAS without any professional help whatsoever. I think that's a step too far unless you are suitably qualified, of which there's probably a couple of dozen people in the country
1: yeah I bet HMRC look very carefully at those ones yeah, as well yeah, exactly so
0: <laughs> you know, I, I would say you need a corporate trustee and it's the choice of that corporate trustee which is I'd say it's critical it's not critical because you can move if you've settled on someone and you find out that they're not right for you then you can move relatively easily so it's not like you're setting something in stone for all time but clearly you wouldn't want to you know, so sort of move these things around too too often. There are there are some costs. So do your research on the corporate trustee that advises you. And the corporate trustees' job is to keep you within HMRC rules, basically. They're not there to tell you what is a sound and, and prudent investment, yeah. although some corporate trustees do extend their role into that area and do stop their trustees from making investments that they think aren't prudent. But there are corporate trustees out there who just say, well, no, you are the one who knows your business. If you think it's prudent to invest in X, Y, and Z, then I'm not going to stop you. But I am going to tell you whether it's going to break any HMRC rules and put you at risk of a tax charge. And because property and what we do, we we do like to push the boundaries, I I think, of the rules. You know, I'm not saying we want to go close to the fence and over the other side of the fence but we want to be up against that fence and using all of the flexibility that's there in the rules with, without breaking the rules and I think to summarize the market if, if you're with a heavily regulated sort of IFA type business and then they do SAS pension on the side or, or they've got a SAS department you're more likely to be sort of kept within that the, the bounds of very traditional uh, advice and regulated type advice. Whereas really SaaS is, is unregulated and you don't have to be regulated to be a, in this area. Therefore, yeah, if you see what I mean, I, I, I think um, if your SaaS is being looked after by a firm, which otherwise is a fully regulated entity, as in they do traditional IFA type business as well, there's no way that they're gonna operate their SaaS department in any other way other than the regulated way. Yeah. Whereas if you go to someone who is outside of all of that, And really, they are a a business advisor helping you to keep within the bounds of HMRC. They're they're not a financial advisor. And and that's the big leap that you would be making if you move from the traditional pension world into the SaaS pension Mm -hmm. world. And at the same time, take your advisors, you go away from the traditional pension advisor community and into the you know bespoke business advisor type community. Hmm. So that that's one of the, you know, the choice of that corporate trustee. And then also the administration, which is a separate function, but more often than not, your corporate trustee will have a business alongside, or it could be the same business that, that will do your administration, which is your sort of returns to company's house and um, sending your um, accounts so that the pension will have its own set of accounts. And have to do its returns uh, to HMRC every year, so that's the admin function. Um, in terms of other mistakes, oof, yeah, it's me. Yeah, just 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 taking anybody at their word, including me. You know, research, <laughs> research, research. You know, because you know what we've done with it is it right for everybody? I absolutely know it isn't. So hmm. you know, don't don't think like, a little bit like we said earlier about property. Just because someone has made a strategy work for them doesn't mean that and, and likewise with sass we've made sass work for us doesn't mean it will work for you no. um, so please just understand what you're trying to achieve and really understand sass and where it could help you and don't try and compare yourself to other people albeit that that is tempting
1: <laughs> unsurprisingly it's not a magic bullet yeah i like that you've started and finished with a word of caution Andy. i love it sums you up <laughs> do you want people to get in touch with you or <laughs> is this your abundance giving and
0: well it's it's like this frank i'm i I love sas and I love talking about SaaS and i I'd be happy to talk to anyone about sas at any time you know if anyone wants any any sort of guidance or or whatever then i'm more than happy for them to get in touch with me um you, you can um I presume you can post my sort of contact details. So my hmm, LinkedIn, is, that's a difficult one to say, isn't it? I bet the best place to go would be to my website, which is enable.co.com. And in there, you can look at some of the projects that we've done. My contact details are all available there. So enable.co.com.
1: And that's Andy Miller on LinkedIn, if you want to look him up. and it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, it was great meeting you and our recent monthly training day and uh, great to chat to you today I I hope that your success in uh, property investment continues it's clearly been a brilliant five years or so I think well a lot of people I'm speaking to and certainly I share this view is that we we have some very exciting times ahead of us in terms of the uh, potential to invest so uh, I hope the next five years are equally if not more fruitful for you
0: Thank you very much, Frank. It's been a pleasure to talk to to you and everyone and happy investing. Sophisticated Property Investing, a podcast brought to you by Ethical Property Partners, the experts in sophisticated property investment.